guys, welcome to the DRS podcast. You're joined by your boy AMG Dens from the ends of North London, of course. And over on the other side of the pond, my brother from another mother, R to the J, Rhett Jackson. How are you feeling, my bro? Dude, I am feeling well, man. It's so glad to finally say we are a week away from the next race. Cannot wait. Race week. I know. I was watching Tested this week. I'm a little tired. I relaxed. I've, I've taken a nap. I'm not going to be pouty, but man, waking up at two in the morning, brutal just for preseason Absolutely. testing. So I'm committed. I got the F1 TV subscription. Um, it's only up from here. <laughs> Absolutely, bro. Well, listen, you know, I know you've gone through the hardships of that uh, American time difference there. Probably wish you had a, uh, like a DeLorean time machine probably to, to try and like, you know, be probably on the same time as us, but it's okay, man. Yeah, it Marty McFly it over there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's the cool part, but of course we've got a lot to delve into in this episode. Um, before we even get into testing, I want to give a huge shout out to the Danish Viking that is K, K- Mag, Super Mag, Super K. That is obviously Kevin Magnuson. He signed a new deal with Haas Automotive Racing, multi-year contract, which I think shows a statement of intent from Haas. Um, a great signing from them in terms of having somebody that could be a benchmark and a yardstick for Mike for Mick Schumacher. And of course, as well, you know, somebody that's a familiar face at Haas. So what did you make of that news, RJ? Well, I loved it. And I will say before one of our episodes, that news hadn't completely broke. So if you did watch and you're probably confused, these guys are behind. What am I listening to? Um, Time difference threw us in there. But my real reaction now, I am a huge fan of it. I think last year he didn't deserve to have to leave, obviously, with their situation. I think he was kind of forced out. But to get a familiar face uh, is awesome. I have never been more optimistic in Haas in the time I've, I've watched Formula One. Um, and on top of it, too, I think there's this really cool camaraderie amongst American fans that I saw on social media, mainly Twitter, saying, you know, this is America's team. Like, you know, we're going to own it, everything like that. So the optimism was never higher. I think some of that probably comes with Mazepin leaving. But, bro, I am pumped. Let's go. And day two, I know we're getting into qualifying, but you know you saw him on day two. <laughs> I mean, come on there, bro. How, how could I not, you know, miss him? He, he was uh, definitely up there in day two. Obviously, for those who live underneath a rock, you might not be aware that Haas have been allocated an extra hour of testing uh, pretty much every single day because, unfortunately, they had an issue with some freight. It meant that their car or parts of their car couldn't basically reach the circuit on day one on time, you know, and I feel it was one of those things where a lot of the teams were looking to try and pull together and almost kind of work to try and help us because they've had had quite a few hard moments in the last couple of months, weeks, days, losing their sponsorship, (laughs) having a complete driver swap, and then obviously the freight not being delivered on time as well. So I think it was a good uh, token gesture from everybody to basically come together and allow them to have that grace period to do some extra testing and to catch up, of course. And yeah, what do you make of the delivery of the car as well, man? It's got that red and white kind of danish flag vibe as well i'll take it um i was gonna say though with haas it, when it when it rains it pours unfortunately um especially for, for the for that team but i do i do like it more um we could dive into slightly some drive to survive but i won't get into it too much because i know everyone's got their own uh opinions on it but it was pretty funny i will say i've watched 
Don't hate me. The Haas episode, by the way, was the best one I've seen. So I'll just throw it out there. If you're not going to really watch, that one wasn't too bad. But uh, I was sick of the more or less tacky wannabe Russian delivery. I'm done with it. I'm over it. This one's an upgrade. I think it's a good symbolism for a fresh start for a new season for him. So sky's the limit. I'm excited. So true. So so true as well, Rhett. I absolutely agree, you know, and never were true words spoken. And um, yeah, another thing that we could probably touch on as well in breaking news fashion, Ricardo out with COVID, missing all three days of the test. Um, you know, our thoughts go out to Ricardo. We hope that the Smiling Assassin and the Honey Badger is back for, you know, the race week. But I uh, just want to throw the hat in the ring there as well, Ajay. In the event <laughs> that he can't make it, who do you feel would be a fit candidate for him or to replace him for that race? Yeah, uh, I, given what they have right now, uh, I, would, I would love to see Oscar Piastri, honestly, in there if they need a replacement. I think he's... You know, we always, we, we chat about last time about there not being enough F seats in F1 for these talented drivers. And even though he's technically, you know, reserved with Alpine, he is, you know, more or less the next man up. And I think for him to get a spot would be an absolute no brainer, especially if you're uh, McLaren as well, where, you know, the season they had last year, we know, we know the prancing ponies Ferraris coming in roaring this year. Uh, I think you got to go with the best available. I would, I would go with Piastri. Do you feel the same at all or no? I think Piastri definitely deserves the opportunity. And, you know, if it was to come in that fashion, it'd be really interesting because you've got to bear in mind he is a Renault slash Alpine Academy driver and also McLaren have their own kind of pond as well. For those who don't know, McLaren have an agreement with Mercedes in relation to reserve and test drivers, meaning that essentially McLaren would have a choice of Stoffel van Dorn and Nick de Vries, the reigning Formula E champion. So, yeah, it, it would be really interesting. And I guess you could almost like argue the case for either three of those drivers. Obviously, Oscar Piastri, reigning F2 champion, deserves to be an F1 anyway, just on that. Um, Nick DeFries, reigning uh, Formula E champion, never had a seat or a chance of Formula One. Mercedes might be looking at a replacement for Lewis Hamilton when he eventually does retire. Would you eventually maybe consider putting him forward? Stoffel van Dorn was a McLaren driver previously and has experience with the team. So, and also, funnily enough, he replaced Alonso when he had some fractured ribs, I believe, mm. back in 2016. So, again, a previous experience there too. So, yeah, lots of opportunities for McLaren, I'm sure. But um, also, I'd probably like to see Ricardo there as well because he, I think, set the most amount of uh, test running days in Barcelona. So mm -hmm. he's no stranger to the car, of course. And yeah, I feel, I know you're alluding to some of the drive to survive stuff, which we won't spoil for anyone, but I know in episode two, oof, <laughs> he was getting cooked. So yeah, he um, was. <laughs> you know, I think for that kind of, um, you know, just from that perspective, I believe it probably will be the best thing for him to just be in the seat from day one and try and build some progression and momentum because his seat is not looking so secure. Yeah, I, I feel for him. He's a, he's a journeyman. And, uh, you know, regardless of what happens this year with Daniel Ricardo and even in the future, this is going to be a turning point regardless of which way it goes. So, uh, I, I really wish him well. He's one of my favorite drivers, honestly, on the, on the grid. So regardless of who he's racing for, I'm a Daniel Ricardo fan. So um, got to wish him well, obviously. Hopefully his symptoms aren't too bad either. You know, we're kind of really coming out of the tail end of COVID here, at least in the States for the most part, with a lot of the mandates getting lifted. So 
it's, it just blows my mind. You know, he went probably this long during all the pandemic, never caught it. And then right before testing, it's, it's like the most inopportune time, really, if you think about it since COVID started. So, um, but we'll see what happens with there. Um, I got to ask too, I know we, we were going with a, with a breakdown, obviously of testing going on, you're wearing the cap, you know, we, we, we you wear a lot of caps, let's call it that, but mostly Mercedes. Um, give me just your breakdown. I mean, we could go through the top of all the different teams, but I want to hear it from the man himself for the, the biggest Mercedes fan. I know um, what does AMG Den's got to say about the, what you saw this last weekend. Hey, right. You know, we're just, just sandbagging out here, you know, <laughs> just, just give it to the kids. Just, just let yeah. them, you know, have a couple of fast slaps. Let them just enjoy that. It's all, it's all cool. We're just, mm. it's cool, actually, you know, <laughs> you know, we're just enjoying the, you know, the barring heat, you know, the beautiful track built in the, um, the, the deserts of Bahrain, designed by Herman Tilka, uh, 3.3 mile track, but I'm so wondering how you get to your point there, yeah. With Mercedes, it's, it's an interesting one. I think it just makes sense to just go through the list, kind of, um, you know. Oh yeah, do that, anyway. no worries. Yeah, uh, yeah. Mercedes, it's been an interesting one, because obviously they turned up to Bahrain with a really radical W13 with its almost non-existent side pods there. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the kind of intention behind that essentially is to basically move the air and the wheel wake uh, turbulence coming off the wheels in a different direction. So rather than it basically unstabilizing the rear, you can actually channel that air in other areas. Also, if you have really small side pods, the next benefit you get as well is reduced drag, which means higher top speed as well. So definitely you could say that they're being quite radical. I know um, let me uh, speak to your manager, Christian Horner. Didn't really seem too intrigued at first about the radical design, <laughs> no. which is never a surprise. But um, definitely, I feel that it's a quite interesting and almost radical move by Mercedes. Fun fact, the zero side pods were actually there in Barcelona, but they were covered by a vanity paddle. So people have this assumption that actually, oh, well, it's not working, or it's going to make the engine overheat, which could happen, but... Mercedes have actually been running that since Barcelona. It's just that they put a panel over that so no one would realize that they were running these <laughs> tiny little kind of side pods uh, underneath. Tricksters. Which I think is, you know, again, Mercedes up to the usual uh, tricks, which is amazing. And um, yeah, just to kind of um, get to the point, essentially, you know, it's been quite an interesting week for them. They've kind of come out and said essentially that it's been a data gathering exercise for them. They're not chasing lap times. It's all about mileage and testing different philosophies, which I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, we also heard George Russell come on the radios at some point and he was talking about like his knees hitting the bottom of the steering wheel where the clutch paddle is. So again, um, it just shows to me that although he's a very fast driver and you can't take that away from him, he's still in the adjustment phase with Mercedes and you're talking about you know him having to wear size 10 boots and then have to downsize to a size nine when he was doing the Sakia Grand Prix stepping in for Lewis that had COVID that year and how they basically had to work the Mercedes and change the seat, change the, um, the just even the throttle pedals to make it suit mm-hmm. him. So yeah. lots of adapting, lots of changes. That's always going to be the case when you're um, starting a new season with a new driver. But yeah, not much you could really say on Mercedes to be fair. You know, you wouldn't like to believe that Lewis Hamilton's four seconds off the pace. And I think, you know, when you see him and uh, George and Toto smiling in the paddock, giving the media very uh, generic answers, it tells you that there's maybe something they have up their sleeves. So for my sake, I hope that's the case. Or else I know our brother, brother Rory is just going to be roasting me the entire year. So yeah, <laughs> what are your thoughts, Mercedes? 
Yeah. So it's, it's interesting you say that. So with Mercedes, I just thought of that Lewis Hamilton interview and I said, you know, let's circle back to it where Lewis is getting asked about the track conditions and he's kind of just almost smiling a little bit is after day two. He's talking about the wind changing direction and stuff. And, and in my head, I'm like, pin this tweet. After the first race, I think there's going to be a lot of hype on whoever probably gets a podium maybe, you know, early on. Is Ferrari back? You know, all these conspiracy theories. But for me, it's going to take a few races. And I think Mercedes, if they have to make any adjustments, they will. And I think with the car that they have right now, they are way better equipped to figure out what which route they really want to go with the car. Because if they really wanted to, they could adjust it based on what Red Bull has going on or Ferrari based on their success. Whereas Ferrari and Red Bull are kind of already locked in more or less and aren't going to be able to make as much of adjustments. So um, that's kind of what I gathered. I also just thought it was cool to see George Russell in, in a championship winning car, literally. So that was exciting to me. Um, but uh, going down the list as well here. Um, you want to go to Ferrari next? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, okay. For me, yeah, for me, what I had with Ferrari, um, I would say, you know, arguably overall, I thought they had the strongest preseason with the testing. Um, it's to be Carlos and Charles both seemed really, you know, pretty kind of quietly confident in their car. Um, and I, I thought overall, it just seemed like a pretty smooth drive for their, their testing. So I know it's kind of a, a brisk answer, but not really too much to report from them. I thought it was just good runs. Yeah. And I'd echo your sentiments there as well, right? To be honest, I think Ferrari had a really strong testing. They didn't really have many reliability issues, always in the top five of the testing, uh, timesheets as well. And getting those laps, which are quite critical, um, watching the car itself, just on the TV screen, it was just uh, very interesting to watch how they're running the rake of the car. Certain mm -hmm. times you could see the floor scraping and you'd question whether or not the car could survive that level of sustained physical fatigue. Uh, it also raised another point, which is quite an interesting talking point about the teams coming together to ask the FIA to basically stiffen the structural rigidity of the floor. Um, there was arguments maybe to say that there might be a minimum ride height. So essentially that would stop the cars from bottoming out or essentially maybe porpoising to some extent. Um, but having said that, that would also make the cars much more slower in terms of, you know, the straight line performance. You also sometimes remove the aerodynamics by doing that too. Mm -hmm. um, there's also talk of maybe having a declared ride height in quali. So you could run it a much more lower kind of like a ride height where it's going to abuse the floor and torture it. And then having a separate ride height for the race. So you wouldn't have so many um, like reliability issues or like maybe structural issues with the floor. A really wacky one, which I think was a good talking point as well, was the also mentioning the maybe the idea of having a standardized active suspension. So it's something I saw maybe in the mid 90s with the uh, Williams. I think it's the FW19B or something like that. I'm sure people will correct us. <laughs> few so. random, few random letters and numbers in there. <laughs> yeah, you know, you just have to throw them in. <laughs> Two, there. four, niner, A, B, F, G. But essentially, yeah, um, it wouldn't be the first time we had something like that. There was a really, to get, like, basically get to the point, there was a really radical Williams that had a computerized suspension system. So essentially, it could change the height of the, the suspension on every single corner to prevent the floor from scraping. So essentially, maybe if they were to bring something like that 
that into the sport where like everybody had exactly the same computerized ride mm -hmm. height um, adjustable computer system, then that would also kind of stop this bucking or porpoising effect that we're seeing that, you know, also I'm going to say, Brett, man, you need to get your dental insurance uh, adverse out there, but these drivers, if they don't, you know, uh, fix the issues. Yeah, that's, that's hilarious you say that because I was actually in a space earlier today with Rory. Um, which by the way, that'll be this, that'll be a different episode coming out later this week interview with Rory from, uh, across, well, not across the, a little bit more than across the pond. Maybe I don't, I don't even know what's even after the pond, maybe the grass after in Ireland, he's close oh, by. Scotland, lad. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere <laughs> around there. Um, but we were chatting about actually after the 2021 Portugal during the testing max Verstappen was having an issue saying, you know, I'll go see my dentist next weekend, which I thought was pretty funny, but I remember that. they might need it. Gasly was bobbling up and down. And uh, before it escapes my memory right now, I think what you're getting at though, I'm pretty, I'm fairly certain. I watched the Senate documentary on Netflix I believe it was Elaine Prost who actually was the first one who drove that Williams car and had that unfair advantage. And that ends up more or less costing Senna a championship, if I'm not mistaken. Spot on. Spot on. Literally. Was Boom. See, I know thing, some man. stuff. I know hey, some he's stuff. Getting there. He's getting there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. I, I didn't have to stretch too hard for that one, but I got it. So <laughs> no, well, bro, it, it's amazing. You know, and it just shows, you know, once you spend some time and you research these things, mm -hmm. you see that a lot of like concepts in Formula One are not necessarily new, but they're evolutions of ideas that already existed or got outlawed or whatever the case was. So, you know, with this generation of uh Formula One cars, it's back to ground effects. And one mm -hmm. of the ways you can kind of affect the ride height or stop the car from bouncing is just having an active suspension that manually adjusts itself or automatically adjusts itself with a computerized software so it's, it'll be interesting i think it'll be far-fetched and knowing the fia does just tell the teams listen we're not interested we gave you these rule books of rules to follow follow the rules if you've got an issue with that go home so yep exactly you know, that's just us be having some wishful thinking, but great. Again, just some amazing talking points there. Mm -hmm. And also um, some other like very interesting technical insights. People were talking about the Ferrari scalloped higher side pods and how that essentially reduces surface drag. So again, that's a car that's going to be quite slippery in a straight line, being able to follow other cars, which is the point we'll come back to. But overall Ferrari, strong, 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 strong tests. Mm -hmm. Can't really complain. So we'll move on to the Red Bull. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, fastest in day three of testing. Uh, they brought a new package, I believe. I didn't get to see so much of it because I was in the middle of a gruesome 12-hour <laughs> endurance race for charity. <laughs> but I'm sure you can echo your points on that one as well, right? Yeah. So, it. I mean, I won't get into the technical descri description. So, but, you know, it's... It, it was obviously different um, for me, though. I think overall in testing, that really was, you know, one of those packages they, they waited to, to, to bust out with the side pod, uh, if you will. Um, overall, though, it was a quiet start for them. I mean, in, in the sense where I think you were we were still kind of trying to determine who was where, you know, Haas made some crazy leap or something like that after the end of day two. But uh, I mean, personally, on the last day of testing, I thought there was it was a uh, how would I say it? Um, they weren't exhausted from 21. I think it showed you that they're actually legit. And uh, in, in my opinion, I think Red Bull outside of Ferrari, I think Mercedes, it's, it's still its own, its own thing. But I think Red Bull in some ways kind of has to be somewhat of a favorite going into the, the, the first race. That might just be me personally. But um, 
I don't know. It was, it was one of those solid performances, honestly. I, I think if anything, I was expecting them the third day, if they didn't do well, I'd be concerned, but it just proved to me, you know, they've, they, I think they got to figure it out. So we'll see. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, you know, and it basically seemed that they were quite confident, quite comfortable. So Adrian Nui, their almost technical director, their aerodynamicist, <laughs> just like jamming in like a t-shirt and some, uh, you know, chinos. So yeah, it didn't really seem that there's much stress there at all. Um, again, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out though, because whilst it seems they've got a quite competitive package for now, how far they <laughs> develop the car further on, because we know that they did spend quite a lot of resources fighting for that championship last year. And ultimately, yeah, with the Red Bull, whilst I don't want to give them too much credit because they are the dark side for me, anyway. <laughs> um, it seemed there like could the be light was... in the darkness sometimes. <laughs> of course, of course. But um, yeah, this seemed for them that they ran quite smoothly, not too many technical issues for them at all. They had flow of this paint, so they test airflow. I'm trying to measure just how it was traveling across the car as well. And ultimately, too, yeah, the car just seems super, super planted. Not really too many issues at all. No porpoising. Um, yeah, you got to say that they're going to be one of the strong contenders. So um, absolutely, they have to be up there based on what we've seen. So um, I will actually take a little detour and go to their sister team, AlphaTauri. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you had any uh, thoughts to share on this one. Yeah, I, I didn't think overall it was it was horrible form at all. Um, I thought Gasly and Sonoda both looked looked good. Um, I think there was one clip that went pretty viral, like I had allu- mentioned a little bit earlier, where Gasly was literally just really, really bumping up and down. So I'm sure they'll get it <laughs> under control. Um, but it's it'll be unique to me to see because the one thing that we, you know, on that team that we have now, we know it's, it's the Red Bull B team as a lot of people call it. They're going to have twice as much data to collect and actually help analyze with their car. So I actually, if anything, if testing told me something, I think they're going to be better than what we saw just based on that fact. So how about you? Yeah. I echo those points as well, Brett. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, for me, too um they had the fastest day on um day one with the time step by Gasly. I, yeah. I like the reference you mentioned there too with like Gasly bopping his head. Our <laughs> presentator, um, you know, uh Croft, he was basically saying that he wanted to get to Metallica and to Sandman, just you know, with Gasly bopping yeah. their head up and down, just <laughs> like he's at like a metal rave. So yeah, it made me laugh. But some other interesting key points about AlphaTauri too, I'll just mention was um the interview there, team principal Franz Tost. He's basically speaking about the cost cap because um, those, again, uh, essentially this year, there is a cost cap, which basically means the teams, they can earn as much money as they want. Like, for example, mm-hmm. Red Bull got a $500 million deal, but they're only allowed to spend $140 million on an allocated amount of things to run the car, to buy parts, to run the team, essentially. Keep and the receipts. Exactly. Those accountants will be looking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they will. <laughs> and essentially, yeah, just um basically Franz Tuss was essentially saying that you know he hopes that Yuki doesn't really crash the car too many times because a Formula One car is a very expensive piece of kit. Uh, one could go for like 20 million, 30 million. Engine alone is like 1.6, 2 million, and just the technology Jeez. as well. So um you wouldn't want to be crashing too many Formula One cars. And I'm mm-hmm. sure there's lots of articles about that. But also, um, and I'm sure you can relate and probably um, expand on this point too. They're talking about basically um, AlphaTauri getting the benefit of this NFL draft system 
where they have a revolving amount of time in the wind tunnel. So for example, Haas and AlphaTauri had like the most amount of time in the wind tunnel to develop the car. And it's like akin to the NFL where like mm-hmm. maybe the poorer teams get to pick the more talented prospects first and the bigger teams don't really get like, you know, the top of the crop guys first. Yeah. And just basically them saying that they're really hopeful that that extra time that they're getting now is helping them to pick up on new things, see new trends, analyze data in a better way, get correlation between, you know, the actual wind tunnel and the car itself and give them a much more fairer chance in in, in the pack as well. So I want to get your thought on those token systems too. Yeah, I I do like that. The, The one thing I would see and I would be curious is... Again, we, we see the cars. We don't always know the strategy because in the NFL in particular, for instance, the team I root for the Detroit lions, we are, we are the Haas of the NFL in some ways. We're always, we're always bad. We've had some glimpses of glory. Um, shout out to Megatron. If you're listening goat. Uh, but anyways, um, at the end of the season though, if the teams are doing bad and they have no, they know they have no chance of going to the playoffs, winning the constructors championship, anything like that. They just start tanking right away because they want the best players for the next season. So I would be curious strategy wise with some of these development tokens, if a team like, you know, Haas or an AlphaTauri or whoever that does horrible really values that and says, Hey, that made the biggest difference for us or something along those lines. And then towards the end of the season, they just, you know, don't try at all. I don't think it would be that extreme, but I think you kind of get what I'm saying at where maybe get these teams where it's just like, well, we had a lot of glimpses. We just had some bad luck. Um, now let's already just focus on to the next year. Cause that's kind of what Haas did this last year. Let's be honest. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, but I, I am a fan of that system. It does kind of try to help level that playing field in some ways. Um, and I know f- with uh, going from Red Bull to, you know, back to Alpha Tari, um, from the from the pecking order, if we're, if we're going back in order, I would say next up would probably be, based on last year's standings, McLaren, um, which to me, we had just chatted about it. Daniel Ricardo not able to test. Uh, how much is that going to, you know, deter them from finding success next year? Are you are you worried for them? Yeah, well, it is an interesting one, as, as you mentioned, RJ, there, because uh... – yeah, I felt so sorry for Lando. He's going to have such a sore neck by the end of the week because mm-hmm. all those hours of testing. Hope he can find a good masseuse. Yeah. So it's been an interesting one for McLaren in terms of the week they've had. Essentially, um, they were having some issues on the first couple of days with a new braking system they had. I've got notes here basically saying it's to do with uh, the brake ducts. So it's the same brake ducts they had in Barcelona, essentially. But in Barcelona, it's a much mm-hmm. cooler circuit and the braking zones are less heavy you could say, and there's less braking events than there are in Bahrain, where you have turn one heavy braking zone, turn three heavy braking zone, turn 10, which you saw cars going off and locking yep. off. Like, so, yep, it just, um, they're really struggling with that. And I think, in a way, it's almost a good thing that you have testing because you can iron out these creases. We saw them um, also, you know, messing around with some flow of this paint. So they're looking at air flow direction. Also, just testing different systems. I saw Lando with a big kind of uh, message on his uh, steering wheel, say CSL. And I was like, oh, I've got a CSL steering wheel. <laughs> it wasn't the same. <laughs> you know, uh, it apparently stands for um, constant speed limit test. So 
they were testing a constant speed on the um the ECU of the engine and just testing different parameters with that as well, making sure that the car is basically responding to all the transmitters back to the factory and working. So lots of interesting stuff you could do. And if you're not trying to set hot laps every single lap, it's nice to know that you can do other things as well and still be productive. So I'm positive that McLaren has still salvaged uh, the most they could from the days of testing. Weren't really too far off the pace either when they were doing their first run. So fairly optimistic for them. And then on the topic of McLaren, I also wanted to talk about um, Carlton Herter also being uh, announced as one of the drivers that will get a test at some point of this year too. So another great opportunity to mm-hmm. see, uh, you know, a McLaren driver, but from the IndyCar stable, get an opportunity at some point. And that also throws another hat into the ring because if Daniel doesn't perform, if, you know, Zach Brown wants to bring the more American side of the the sport and the heritage and stuff like that into McLaren. He's got another young driver like uh, Pato Ward, like Colton that can do that too. And, you know, I'd look forward to seeing that. Yeah, I completely agree. I actually was in a um, chatting with a few more IndyCar fans and uh, about that a lot. There was a lot of speculation around it, but um, uh, the general consensus I had got, and this is me putting my my ear to the ground from a few people, just because you know you don't know what you don't know sometimes. But they were saying they thought it was more of the fact of um, uh, getting a favor called in for Colton Herta, um, with the respect that you know him going forward will be strictly in Andretti driver, assuming they get into F1. Um, but I think the opportunity for him to obviously even test is, you know, going to be really good, especially, especially you think about the results of it too. Okay. You know, I just think of, okay, could he have some success at McLaren if he got thrown in for a single race? Uh, I'm not so sure, but it's not gonna be a good benchmark, but just with the exposure itself, just with the sport and a growing audience where there is a demand in America, um, I think it's absolutely priceless. So I'm a big fan of the news regardless of how it comes in and out. So, um, but o- overall for them, I think you really hit the nail on the head when it comes to, you know, uh, the differences between Bahrain and, and, and where we were before with Barcelona. Um, I just think they're really going to need to fix some of the issues with the car, particularly it just seemed like the braking there was not optimal for them. So uh I uh, I will pray for Lando that his neck will be in full strength for next weekend, and and hopefully Ricardo will too. It, <laughs> it it would even be curious if Ricardo doesn't race. How long does McLaren wait to actually announce that? You know, because in Formula One, I you know you don't always want to show your hand, and uh, that might not be something where, especially with the hype and the media and the buzz around it, I wouldn't be surprised if that's one of those kind of same day switches and the event Ricardo can't race. So. Yeah. So true, so true, you know, and I think to move us on to the next uh, team, let's have a look at uh, Aston Martin. So mm-hmm. um, two kind of points I wanted to start off with, but the more funnier one, uh, we got a lovely interview uh, with Sky Sports with the new team principal, and I'm going to try my best not to laugh. <laughs> 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 Oh man, but it's the one and only Mike Crack, which mm. you know, I'm... <laughs> Mike Crack. 
<laughs> His Yo. brother-in-law's name is Bendover. He's got a cousin yeah. named named Phil McCracken from Ireland. He's he's, <laughs> he's yeah, quite the name, really. Though you you'd honestly think it's a fake name, but like Mike Roch almost. <laughs> but uh, hey, <laughs> I'm oh, I'm glad. Man. We'll we'll see how we'll see how Mike Crack does that for. Maybe I wonder if he's got a nickname already there at the paddocks. But uh, <laughs> well, this is what I was gonna say, man. Like you know, like actually sitting down and listening to the interview. First of all, I I, I have to say I really like him. He seems like a really stand out type dude. Um, very mm-hmm. humble, very focused. He's a very like Andreas Seidel like character. Andreas Seidel, the yeah, technical yeah. like team principal ish mm-hmm. guy at McLaren. And he's just talking about you know him being German and having the affiliation to Sebastian Vettel, which is obviously German too. And speaking about how Seb has all these intellectual ideas about how they're going to develop the car and basically make Aston Martin more competitive in the future as well. So I think that's great talk. And of course, you know, Lawrence Stroll is not the guy you want to get on the wrong side of. So it's a quite big uh, role to fit into, of course. And the fact that they, they believe in him, I think, says quite a lot for Aston Martin's aspirations and essentially they don't want to just be, you know, like a, a giant killer and just a team there for the sake of trying to like challenge the, the top guys on a day or two. They want to consistently bring that heat, which we love to see. So yeah, very interesting insight into my crack. Hoping you don't going to take a while to get used to the name there. And then one other thing I was going to mention as well is um, shout out to Sebastian Vettel. Um, I, I saw some onboards of him and his new helmet. He's running a new mm-hmm. helmet with Ukraine colors, which is cool. Very cool. Another artistic uh, thing he did, which is quite awesome as well, is he had the uh, lyrics of John Led- Led- uh, John Lennon's <laughs> uh, Imagine on the top of the Crash Helmet too, which that song, if you don't know, is just about peace and people mm-hmm. being able to work together. And it's imagining a world where everything was a lot better, which I think we all want to strive for on our hearts. So yeah, nice to see. Although on the caveat, gonna have a bit of an amg dens rant here yo people need to relax <laughs> and cut lewis some bail man I, I didn't appreciate how they're getting onto him because I, I i don't know if you saw this well RJ. at the beginning yeah. of um well before the testing even began on thursday night essentially all the drivers were on the grid bar lewis because his flight was delayed they mm-hmm. did a little kind of um like you know, no war kind of, um, I, I don't even know what the slogan is. This year. Almost I'm like a, dem- a demonstration, almost kind of like the, we races one a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, how sincere that is or, or whether or not it was the drivers who put that forward mm-hmm. rather than the FIA, you know, we'll, we'll see in the coming weeks as the situation obviously uh, continues, but yeah, I didn't appreciate how people get onto my boy Lewis, man. He does a lot for the sport and just because he wasn't there, at the time, people just assumed that he was, you know, not speaking Playing out hooky. or not standing yeah. up. Or, yeah. you know, and I just don't appreciate that because Lewis has done his fair share of charity work. He's been amazing and impeccable for human rights and, and you know, pointing out injustices and standing up in, in places where people were very reluctant and more happy to sit down. So personally, yeah, I didn't really appreciate the attack on Lewis. I think people need to find more productive things to do with their time, to be honest. And yeah, like, you know, if the drivers want to do that, that's cool. If the drivers want to be silent, I don't understand why, even if Lewis didn't come out and say anything or he didn't want to say anything, that would still be cool because when Kimi Raikkonen didn't want to say anything about Black Lives Matter or all these other, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, human rights things, 
no one had a go at him so I didn't see why people were digging Lewis but you know that that is the toxic side of the fan base and I, I just wanted to give them their five seconds of, of light so yeah. yeah we can move on to something I, a bit no more. I think I think that's good and I think uh Lewis too though in that sense I think I'm pretty certain his flight was delayed he went on Instagram and said that. And for me, I was like, you know what? That's kind of the theme. Haas is getting their stuff delayed. Lewis is delayed. But uh, I, I think he did hit the nail on the head. It's good to bring light to it. But on top of it, too, Vettel and Hamilton, in my opinion, lead F1 by a landslide compared to what other, other drivers do. And I'm not saying anything against them because I'm sure they obviously all do their own stuff for their communities and giving back. But I think both of them are just really good stewards for just being good people. And good humans so uh yeah i, I wouldn't uh i wouldn't want to see any more of the toxicity between that because lewis hamilton is the last person who deserves that so but um uh, yeah that's something definitely good to bring up though too um yeah. and with with aston martin too um in particular uh i thought that you know they were definitely they definitely to me appeared appear to me to be in a better place than they were last season I think there's a little bit more promise. I think they I, sluggish isn't the word I would use early on in testing. I think maybe just a little bit shaky. I don't really know what I'm watching. And I feel like towards the end, um, they did have some solid laps and some good runs. And again, it comes back to, we don't know what these teams are doing, if they're doing quote unquote hot laps or, or what towards the end. But um, to me, it did look more promising. I think um, they'll be a little bit more legit. I don't think there'll be as much of a fall off a cliff like there was last year. Pardon me. Um, but that uh, you know what? The only way to really determine is to get on the track. So I, I'm wishing him well, so though. True. I really hope. And, and that, oh my gosh, Aston Martin is just a name that rolls off the tongue in some ways. And, and for you, obviously, having that team in your home country, I feel like doesn't party rooting for him a little bit more than the average team here? No, absolutely. For me, honestly, um, Rhett, like I've always had a soft spot just for that team even before they were asked in mind, just when they're racing point or force mm -hmm. India or whatever guys they're under, just they've always had a, a kind of a synergy or kind of an alliance with Mercedes sharing, you know, the power unit, being a customer team to them. And yeah, this, it's nice, you know, to see a prestige brand like Aston Martin, you know, being able to do what they can. Um, obviously, last year, they had a bit of a B-Tech B Mercedes, as we call it. <laughs> so, um, you know, they weren't able to really understand the philosophy and adapt it to that uh, years of regulation in, in regards to the floor. But this is a completely new start for them. They've got the investment as well. I mean, we talk, talked on it earlier and said that they can only spend 140 million, but mm -hmm. they've got more than that lined up anyway. So it's not like they're a team that are going to suffer in the long term. So yeah, small incremental steps. If they can consistently bring it to the top and be in the top five consistently, I think that's a, a good starting ground. And then if they can continue to build on that and um, Stroll can uh, get his first win, bring my little Canadian as well, then that'd be cool. Yeah, as well. that'd be great. And uh, before we move on, let's let's consider Alfa Romero next, if that's all right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I will just throw out an aside what will be good for Formula One here and retweet this, circle back again. It's going to be, it's not a hot take. It's just uh, if it happens and it doesn't happen, uh, you'll be like, wow, RJ was so right. If Aston Martin wins or gets a podium in Silverstone. So help me everything that is right in this world. If Pierce Brosman or Daniel Craig is not on the podium, something James Bond theme related, uh, it's, it's a complete shame. It's, it's, that's going to be awful, but I would love to see that to say the least. So 
Um, very random outside, uh, thinking out loud here, but anyways, um, to get back on track, literally here, uh, Alfa Romero, we are finally seeing an ex Mercedes driver in a different whip. Um, can't actually even see the car if they're going out with the camo. Let's be honest. The John da, Cena, da, da, da. <laughs> <laughs> no copyright intended again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, it was interesting to see them. Guan Yu Zhou, uh, I'm actually really excited to see how he does this year. I think he may actually shock some people um, in some ways, but uh, their Barcelona test was not good. You know, they really were struggling there. I did think they they came back a lot better, obviously stronger there, um, as I alluded to before. Um, I think their car may or may not possibly have some reliability issues more than maybe the average car. Um, and, and that's really just, uh, most of what I saw from them. I, I really didn't see too much of honestly with, with, with testing. That's just kind of the few glimpses I had, but, uh, be curious to hear your take if you did see him. Yeah, I was keeping tabs on them too, you know, because I wanted to obviously check on my, my guy, Bottas, one of the home teams. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Mr. TikTok, Mr. Coffee Bean Farmer himself for the finest Columbia produce, of course. But um, yeah, absolutely. You know, it was interesting to see Alfamero's uh, take on the, the second test. I feel like they made a step in the right direction. They got a lot more laps in, which is good. But, you know, it wasn't completely fall free for them. Had a couple of reliabilities and niggles here or there. So, of course, they want to be trying to rectify that. But again, I didn't see Guan Yu Zhou wreck the thing or crush it once or twice. So, you know, from a pay driver perspective, I think he's doing well for his reputation and, you know, the, the pressure's off of him for now until he does make a mistake. But you've got to bear in mind he's a rookie, so I'm not going to be that critical of him. Uh, Bottas as well, I think he's one of the fastest guys in the first day of testing. So, mm -hmm. yeah, like the points you mentioned earlier, I think in terms of, um, you know, short one-lap pace, don't expect them to be ridiculously far off. But in terms of obviously a full race distance, I think they would need to go back to the drawing board, do a lot of revisions, see where they can make the car more reliable if it's adding more cooling vents or ducts or things to make it a bit more sustainable. Uh, one interesting thing I did see with the Alpha, it was like they had a small like arrow device on the tip of the front nose. It kind of looked like Yoda's head with his ears <laughs> sticking out. Well, baby Yoda there. <laughs> exactly just on the front wing hanging for life but uh, <laughs> sam collins great uh, technical genius that he is that gives insight uh with f1 tv and was uh sharing responsibilities with sky f uh, f1 sports as well was essentially saying that that was an arrow measuring device that was measuring airflow on the front wing and air like basically front wing movement so again they they might be doing something unique or radical or spending well the extra time they have in the wind tunnel to something up so you never quite know with these smaller teams now that they've got access to more things than they did previously um alpha male kind of interesting one too because it's an italian team with the factory in geneva and switzerland <laughs> and you know a well, uh, finnish driver and a chinese driver too it's a eclectic diverse pot of so many things in one so um, i'm really excited for them love the merch We'll be trying to order some soon when I'm not so broke or when you know YouTube monetize our things, of course. <laughs> but uh, yeah, happy, happy, yeah. happy, happy for Alpha Mail. I, I couldn't say a bad word. And then, um, looking at the rest of the teams we've got here, um, let me see what you think of uh, L Plan L Peen. Uh, what are your takes um, on that, RJ? I will say L Plan should be maybe L Panic. 
Uh, I, I, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm concerned here. We, we did the ranking last week and I was, you know, had some, uh, hope with Fernando Alonso and Ocon and, uh, and now we again got the next man up Piastri sitting there. Uh, I, ugh, I thought they're driving a clunker around, not gonna lie. Um, it, it did it to, to be blunt in a uh, candid here. It, the car didn't look easy to drive. I really think they're going to unfortunately be on the, be on a, a struggle in this year. I, I don't know if you saw anything different that I didn't, but I, I think I'd be panicking a little bit. Oh, likewise, um, likewise for me too on that one. You know, for Alpine, the only positive I can really give them is Alonso got 122 laps in yesterday, so that goes in for quite a lot. In mm-hmm. ter- if you're talking about this, like very short, um, you know, like hot lap pace upon yeah, no. <laughs> the fastest laps on day two but again you don't know if the other teams are sandbagging what the yeah. fuel loads are whether Alpine are trying to you know secure a bit of uh, you know guala guala with yeah. um, you know some some pace outside the track too so yeah um can't completely write them off but at the same time too they'll they'll be expecting more their sponsors will be expecting more I found it kind of funny that they turned up on day one with the blue and pink car and on day two, they turned up with a pink and blue car. And then I was like, bro, bro, why? You know, they need, if they're looking for sponsorships, Pepto-Bismo should be, they need to be a sponsor. No doubt, dude. Absolutely. I just, I, I don't know. But yeah, there's a, they're one where I really, you know what, in a, in a weird way, I don't want to compare him from teams from last year, but I think they're going to have as big of a drop-off as Aston Martin did in the, in the year before. I, I really think they are, but this is expected more this time. So um, I, I don't want to talk too early right now, but Fernando Alonso, we know is obviously, you know, quote unquote aged in some way. I use that term loosely because he's still a world championship and class driver, no doubt. But, you know, I, I look at him and you see someone like Kimi Raikkonen who, who had a really, obviously, longevity, really great career, you know, finally decided to, to retire from this part of motorsport, Formula One, even though he's still actively involved in other areas. I'm not calling it a retirement party. I'm not suggesting that at all. But it would really make you think if the car doesn't do well, what does Fernando Alonso do or don't do? Um, oh, this is the thing as well, right? He he himself will be putting himself under a lot of pressure and pushing the team mm-hmm. because you have to bear in mind one of Alonso's favorite things to say is, oh, well, you know, like I'm a championship winning driver, but I'm never in a championship winning car. And it's people like him that have been begging on the knees, you know, for some time for them to like change up the rules, a complete regulation change, everyone on the same, everyone having to start from ground zero, basically. Mm-hmm. So there's no more excuse or there's, or there's no more slack. You know, I don't really see the big teams looking to invest in a driver like him when Ferrari already have their long-term future sorted out. Mercedes yep. in the process of sorting their long-term future out. Red Bull already have their long-term future sorted out with Max, you know, Alonso has to basically do what he can with Alpine and use his experience and expertise to bring them up, you know, because he's not going to get the slack. And personally, for me, he, you know, he should be achieving more, no doubt. But having said that, it's not just the team. You also have to lead the team and help them to develop the car in a way that, you know, it should be. And Alpine weren't shy last year either. They got a, a race win. They got a podium. Ocon mm-hmm. would have got actually another podium had it not been for Valtteri. Guttingly overtaking him on the last lap of Jeddah too. So, 
yeah, they're, they're no, like, you know, fools there. They, they know what they're doing. But again, they have made a bed and they have to lie in it. They don't have a second team or a sister team mm. to supply. That also could give them a little bit of insight into what's going on. But again, you know, they, they will have to see what they can do and we'll see if it's Alpine or Alpine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, mo- moving down to here, um, we, we only got two left. I don't know if you want to, I don't want to say this is our preseason predictions at all right now, but I've almost kind of in performance in some ways um, because the shocker here, um, I'm moving Haas up one spot on the grid. I think Oof. they look better than Williams. Oof. Call me crazy. They've had their Oof. issues off the track, but I mean, they did get the hot lap in Magnuson's there. Um, we'll obviously see they've had their own issues with the development of the car, but the irony to me is to, to kind of, I don't want to group them together, but you're, I'm watching testing. We got Albon getting interviewed and then we got a Panda Latifi, like he, his back brake just got taken out by a sniper rifle um, and the car is on fire. I'm just like, oh my gosh, things are coming in so hot. I would have loved to have a live mic um, or camera on George Russell to see what his reaction to that would have been. Um, but yeah, I, there, uh, like Dodge, oh. man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> out of there, like Dodge, honestly, exactly, like, you know. exactly. Um, yeah, but uh, I, I thought in terms of I think Haas things are looking up for him. Uh, on the other counterpart with that, I thought they Williams was decent. Um, it just didn't seem completely over reliable to me. Um, with com- particularly steering and some brake issues, uh, especially that accident, you know, that's this, this is valuable track time just lost to, to nothing, you know. Um, so they're gonna have to iron that out, or ultimately they they will fall behind Haas. But in terms of what I saw from testing, I would have to give Haas obviously the the nudge here over um, Williams. Yeah, interesting take there, and I agree with a lot of things you said there as well, right? Um, I'll kind of go with Williams then, since they're, <laughs> they're your the kind home of team. Dog yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, for them, interesting. Um, because on the first day, I believe the album is only six tenths of the Ferrari on a soft a step of softer compounds attire. So, of course, I'm not expecting a Williams to be challenging a Ferrari anytime soon. But we've come from a generation where Ferrari could lap like Williams and almost go two seconds a lap quicker in qualifying conditions. So, for the gap to only be six tenths even with a bit of a tire deficit there mm-hmm. maybe there's hope for Williams uh, also we have to also give them a bit of uh, credit because I think they were top five in top of the in well in relation to the, the mileage chart at Barcelona they set the uh, fifth uh, highest amount of laps at Barcelona so again um, the reliability gremlins seem to catch up with them in Abu Dhabi to be fair uh, you touched on the hydraulic steering issue that Alban had, which is quite concerning and something you don't ever want to experience driving a Formula One car, having no steering or very little steering assistance. And yeah, just um, the fire they had was really bizarre and they almost were discussing it and describing it as uh, like almost like when a plane unfortunately has like a, a bad accident or something like that. Uh, same thing with the team. They essentially have to go and pick up all the debris, all the different pieces, and try and work out what actually caused the incident. And yeah, it's going to be a bit challenging for Williams because they'll want to definitely be closer to the, the midfield with their new investment and new owners as well. But uh, yeah, can't really say too much about them, to be fair. I think they, they, mm-hmm. they're trying to basically get their head down. They, they seem a lot more serious. Uh, Alban. Whilst I thought, you know, them losing George would be a huge, like, uh, 
setback for them. Albon seems to have just kind of like fitted back in very smoothly. He's a quite likable guy, although they say nice guys finish last. You know, yeah, he's there. Exactly. And uh, you know, he's he's quite familiar with all the faces now and stuff. And obviously Latifi too. He's gotten really no excuses. You know, he's been there for quite a long time. So yeah, Williams are cool. And then, you know, if we're gonna like round up the um the teams then with Haas, again, you know, we touched on them in the beginning statement of intent to resign KMAG for a multi-year deal it shows actually that they're not reliant on our pay drivers anymore because Mm -hmm. obviously if they were so desperate for money or so desperate for a sponsorship they would have probably tried to find another pay driver but the mere fact that they just tried to go for a standard driver like KMAG it's quite a lot about their intentions and probably their financial stability which is good maybe Gene has uh, you know splashing their cash to keep running down there too but that's good Mm-hmm. One thing I was going to say as well is uh, Haas were spotted with a, a very unique shark fin, a serrated shark fin design. So um, that's essentially there to stabilize the car in mid-speed corners to stop it from over-rotating. It's probably where Spinita Mazepin got his nickname from <laughs> when he just kept spinning the car around like Kylie Minogue great shout again no copyright but yep. <laughs> uh, yeah you know um it, it's good to see the small guy get a chance david versus goliath them you know the team is basically agreeing that they should be allowed to uh get a bit more time due to the um the issues with them getting the parts flown over and yeah definitely i could see a good partnership between uh, k mag and uh mick um, yeah. The only thing I'll really say is that uh, whilst Kevin is a great, reliable driver, he'll get you the points. He's very robust, very uh, uncompromising driver. Got a podium with his first race in McLaren back in 2014. Uh, I think there's a fuel flow issue, but we, we don't speak about stuff like that. Yeah. But um, yeah, the only kind of criticism I have for K-Mag is he's not known for being uh, a developer of a car. Um, I don't know if you remember on Drive to Survive a couple of years ago in the rich energy year, essentially... Um, K-Mag and Grosjean were going in two completely different directions with the development of the car. Because essentially, mm-hmm. K-Mag was saying, yeah, 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 give me all these new parts. Want the new parts. Don't shine. Yeah, yeah, give me, give me, give me, give me. And Grosjean was the one saying, yo, these parts, they're not doing anything for this car. It's not making the car any better. Just give me the actual, like, A-spec, like, the basic budget version of this whip from, like, pre-season testing. And at some point, <laughs> Grosjean was out-qualifying and out-beating Magnussen in the newer, like, B-spec developed car. So, a bit concerning. But again, you know, it's a bit too harsh to say that about K-Mag, considering he's only coming back into this team now. He wasn't part of the development process when they were obviously making this new 2022 car. So, he's just going to have to fit in and, um, yeah, try and basically do the best he can. Yeah, I that's... A lot of great insight there too. And I, I wanted to circle back for one thing because I was um, interacting with some people this weekend and one hot take that I did here, and I'd be curious your opinion about it, um, saying that Latifi is actually going to have a better season than Albon. Do you buy that at all? Is that, is that a hot take or you think that's actually something that could be realistic this season for him? Um, it's an intriguing one there, right? Because with Latifi... His qualifying has never been that great. But then again, in terms of race pace, he's never been too far off Russell, to be honest. Like, it's not a case like Max with Gasly, where Max lapped Gasly, or Lando lapping <laughs> Ricardo at, at uh, Monaco, 
or for example like Mick lapping Mazepin you know in, in 2021 like I'd never record or I can't recall to be honest a time where Maz- uh, Latifi sorry has been like lapped by Russell so it goes to show you that his race pace is actually not too bad and also you've got to bear in mind that these two were teammates in F2 as well so they've got previous with each other and actually it'll be interesting to see how it works out because on one side yes they got like that previous experience they're quite buddy buddy with each other there's a bit of a bromance there but of course Latifi in the defective sense or de facto sense is the number one driver because he's been there longer his dad mm-hmm. is a big shareholder in the in the team as well and gives them a lot of investment and at least with Latifi, I could say that compared to his first year where he got no points and made lots of crashes and mistakes, second year we had a couple of crashes but got points and was closer to Russell. There's been a trajectory. But again, can't count out Alban either. I think Alban's a strong candidate. Um, he is a very interesting character to Red Bull think of him quite highly because I don't know if people know this, but he was actually co- giving coaching lessons to Sonoda too, and like a driver coach for oh. Yuki. And that was really cool because, you know, Yuki had lots of raw talent, but he was struggling with unlocking that and basically like trying to get the same setup. So Alban was there to kind of coach him, kind of tame him down a bit, install some of his calm, calmness into Yuki. And we've seen that Yuki got a fourth place in uh, Abu Dhabi and, you know, we're still making a couple of mistakes, but that's to be expected of a rookie. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't sleep on Alban either. I think that's a really interesting one. I don't really think it's going to be a bloodbath. I think even if one outperforms the other, they'll keep their seats probably for the years to come because Williams need that stability now that they've lost uh, George. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I would be more impressed if Latifi could be Albon other than Albon being Latifi. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Um, but, you know, people have their, their thoughts and I, I could definitely see that if Latifi continues to show this upward trajectory. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, you know what? We get to find out next week. That's the best well, part. Yeah. Only a couple more days, and you know, just mm-hmm. to kind of uh, like tie, I guess, this episode up, this testing episode. Uh, there's just some other points I wanted to bring up as well, and some notes yeah. I made. They're basically talking that compared to last year's car, when a car was following another car in dirty air, they would lose 46% of the downforce. But mm-hmm. now, this year, the downforce loss with a car following another car is only 18%. So that's huge. And I think that was very reflective in quite a few battles we saw on track. I believe we saw Bottas and I think it was Alban going wheel to wheel. We saw another battle with Perez and Alban too, which is quite fun. I think, and then I think it was Stroll versus, yeah, Gasly Hamilton following each other along. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, the funniest one must have been, uh, Alonso and Stroll, that one got a bit tasty and allegedly <laughs> uh, Mr. L Plan wasn't too happy, you know, with uh, maybe the disturbances of, um, you know, uh, Stroll. So again, we're physically seeing, it's, it's a bit of a caveat, the, the cars do look a bit tough to drive, they, they're not as sharp and not as nice or easy to look on in slow speed corners, but, you know, these are F1 teams. They're, this is their job. This is their passion. They're going to build back with the downforce. They're going to find ways to redevelop that, um, that style and give the cars the advantages and stuff that they've lost previously. Um, also, another thing that's quite interesting, another interesting take was um, the boss of Pirelli, Mario Isla, 
was uh, essentially talking about tires in uh, the first day of testing. Um, again, what's interesting with Bahrain test is the second half of the test is always quicker than the first because the track temperatures are a lot cooler. So mm. the temp the like tires are not so hot. The engines a lot more cooler. You get more power, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But from a tire point of view, Pirelli were very excited about uh, the morning sessions because obviously that's when it was the most hottest and he just wanted to see how were these new tires coping so he said that uh, he from the observations that Pirelli made there was no graining on the tires even with the hot Bahraini conditions which is nice he alluded to the fact that uh, this is going to be a year where drivers should be able to push in the tires flat out which is cool, but also then it might affect the likes of uh, Perez we've mentioned in previous podcasts. Ricardo as well, yeah. Exactly, the tire whisperers mm-hmm. of the day, maybe not being able to rely <laughs> on that now. So yeah. is that. Um, again, they were talking about um, the cars locking up more often too. We saw in infamous turn 10, like off camber corner, um, the guy is struggling to get slowed down there and going off into the, the runoff area too. And uh, essentially, a lot of teams were putting that down to the porpoising and bouncing. So even again, you think of porpoising being a comfort issue where it's doing on straight. But also when you're coming to break into a corner, if the car's unsettled and it's bouncing, it's going to affect your braking capabilities too. So um, mm-hmm. they're talking about if it's that bad in the dry, what is it going to be like in the wet with these cars? Oh, you know, with the lack of downforce, they have two. Oh, man. That's so, but again, this is the philosophy. This is what the FIA want. They essentially want to make it about less of basically technical engineering or pioneering and more about the driver's skill and ability to drive cars that are not necessarily the best and can be a bit docile and extracting the most from it so again we're going to see the more talented drivers more at the top more consistently and i think that that's what people want to see too and uh yeah just um kind of other things as well pat simmons uh, another technical guy that works with the fia he was one of the um technical guys at reynolds and also williams too in the heyday was just talking about teams not getting too greedy with downforce, essentially with running the car too low to the ground, sparks flying off like it's fireworks day on the 4th of July for you guys in the States. <laughs> yep. And, Lit like you know, a Christmas tree. <laughs> exactly. Not canceling Christmas earlier. No, no, no. But, um, the holidays. <laughs> of course. But yeah, just, um, ultimately the teams are going to have to make a decision whether they, they set up the car for performance at the risk of damaging the floor or whether they maybe run the car with a bit more margin in there for the performance to basically help the longevity of the car, the chassis, and also so they don't eat into their budgets. So yeah, lots of points in testing there. I'm gonna give Rhett the final word because I know he's been in a lot of Twitter spaces whilst I've been preparing for my uh, endurance race I did at the weekend. So mm-hmm. yeah, what are your thoughts? Are you excited about the um, the race weekend ahead of us? And uh, was oh. there anything that shocked you about this week? This week, I would. I mean, personally, I just I don't know how I stayed up. I was up till four in the morning watching it. I was, I was a passed out actually in a Twitter space, believe it or not, but I kept it going. <laughs> I kept my phone on Twitter. If you're listening, let's fix this so I can give it off to someone else. But I passed out in a space. I was shocked. I made it up. But uh, anyways, um, for me, first time watching testing, I just thought it was interesting. I think for me, I'm just a really a natural observer. So the best way to prove it testing or not is next week. And that's why I'm really hyped. So 
Um, my morning ritual is I'll get up, I'll make uh, some slices of turkey bacon. I instantly put it into the freezer. Believe it or not, pro tip here. You want crispy bacon that's stiff, put it in the freezer right away. I'll make a Bloody Mary. I'll get a cup of Joe going, be earlier in the morning, and then just completely watch. And I am so excited to put my feet up and, and see this week. So, uh, But with that, too, I think we would be completely remiss on a F1-related podcast to not um, mention that it's been, you know, this weekend will be one year since we did lose Murray Walker. And for me, as a relatively newer Formula One fan, I didn't have the appreciation for his voice like I'm sure a lot of people did, but it is really one of those generational things. His voice is so classic. You hear, I mean, for me as a fan, listening to him announce Senna and, and all the Schumacher and all these just great drivers in the past. Um, uh, it's, it's really gives you a good perspective of where the sport is in a lot of ways. And he's a great contributor and will always be. So I would just like to say a rest in peace, Murray Walker. Um, fans around the world are so thankful for everything you contributed. And uh, I know obviously you're missed. Absolutely. And it's interesting you mentioned that as well, right? because again, we're going to keep the DTS stuff for a completely uh, separate podcast we'll record hopefully mm-hmm. at some point this week. Still need to catch up and watch the episodes because I'm only on number two. But again, no it was kind of um, upsetting for me that even on the first episode, they gave this insight into the start of the season. And they, oh, again, I haven't watched all the episodes, so I'm going to cut them some bell. But as far as I know, they didn't mention Murray Walker, which again huge part of the sports identity he's always been there from the beginning his voice is so iconic and you know he had these things called Murrayisms so essentially <laughs> he would say oh that's Michael Schumacher and then when you look it's actually Barrichello and he'd always say well you know I don't say things wrong I just make um, prophecies that don't come true and <laughs> yeah just such a legendary guy honestly he would be so deeply missed uh, it's even emotional speaking about him because we find ourselves in a, in a space today like you know talking about formula one and mm-hmm. he was if you think about commentary in formula one that's where it all starts from so yeah yeah just um yes he's, he's sincerely missed you know i hope that maybe the teams run some sort of tribute for him that would be quite fitting i feel but um yeah just um you know shout out to, to murray walker and you know um our condolences to his family as well mm-hmm. around this time of year and all the fans that have been you know touched by his commentary and his voice and um, also, yeah, just uh, touching on the Drive to Survive thing as well. We will be releasing a Drive to Survive episode uh, this week. Uh, it will probably be a review. I'm thinking, how do you want to do this, RJ? Is it a case of us like going through the episodes, while making notes on each episode, and just going through the, the talking points? And I, then, you, you know what? You know what might actually be cool to do, RJ? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, bro, let's do a live stream on youtube yeah could do it on the drs channel or we could do it mm-hmm. on my own channel i don't mind yeah um and we will just discuss basically we will just go through the episodes like one to ten or mm-hmm. whatever but if people want to jump in the comments and like say things we can interact with them at the same time yeah i i love that i was actually thinking too with that as well is is you could go break it down episode by episode for like a rough thing kind of like we did with the lineup here but um i almost think in a way it should be you get all these people complaining on twitter about it you know 
they released it earlier and Matt from WTF one was saying it was bad. And a bunch of people were saying it's bad. I was like, I don't even, I haven't even watched it. I'm not going to take someone else's opinion. I don't really know that well, but sure. I value his, but for me, I think the purpose of that episode, as much as we break it down, it's we should get the fan perspective of what we should be doing to make it right. And um, I know we have a lot of good commentators in the industry, Will Bucks in particular, who helps do that. But I personally think in, in a lot of ways, Drive to Survive would be remiss if they didn't really get more of what the fans actually extract from it. I get that we're trying to get viewers. But let's do it in a way that makes sense for everyone. So as sure. much as it's a breakdown, um, get whatever you need for a roast ready. Uh, we can vent it out together. We may even call it a therapy session, some free therapy. And if you didn't even see drive to survive, um, listening in for even an hour will probably save you at least what? Nine, nine hours. Well, listen, I, so I'm having to go through all the episodes <laughs> now. And I was there on Friday. Just like, okay, cool. Got to watch this one. Got to watch this one. And there's a balance because you want to watch it, to try and enjoy it as a fan. But then obviously in the role that me and you do, we have a responsibility to kind of try and go through it as efficiently as we can and try and pick yeah. out the key points which could actually form the base of some content in the future. So yeah, I'm still working through them and that's the sacrifice we're taking. So yeah, no worries. Keep with that. Yeah, that might actually not be a bad thing. Um, we could even publicize it too. If people, if if you're game for it pre-race, I don't know what time the race came out, we could just do it an hour beforehand. That might not be a horrible idea either. But again, I, I'm, I'm game for whatever. So yeah, be on the lookout for that, obviously. Um, as always, you know, try to engage if you can. We're constantly hopping on Twitter spaces um, at underscore the DRS zone um, or even our personal handle is, as well. Um do have a website eventually in the works that will be launched here sooner, sooner or later um, as well. So something to be out on the look for. Um, and man, next week, we're next week. We're going to have a winner next yep, week. We'll yep. have a winner. It's on like donkey con as you would say. So mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, just, it could, it could be anything. Honestly, there's everything new, new cars, new drivers, new race directors, everything new. A furry, and that's how we like it. Yep, let's get it in 22, baby. So uh, everyone enjoy the week. We will talk to you guys, gals, um, anyone from across the pond. Planet <laughs> yep, planet Mars, <laughs> Venus, Pluto. Uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. <laughs> All right, guys, take it easy. And until next time, peace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>